0: I just, uh, if you're new here, welcome, be patient with us, we, we like Jesus a lot, and I know you do too, but um, we're excited about a couple things coming up, and I want to remind you guys of those things. Um, I know sometimes during, during announcements, uh, we're, we're loving each other so much, our ears kind of go away. So we want to reiterate a couple of things. first of all, if you have children, you're you're welcome to keep them with you or you're welcome to take them back, whichever you're comfortable with. We do have classes back there and some amazing, amazing women back there who love your kids and uh they have a heart for them. Um so we're excited. We 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 uh we, we, we got our oh our expensive system finally purchased. It took us a long time to save for that, and we're we're about to launch our um United Worship Nights, and uh, that would normally be tonight in the house here, but we we canceled it this month because we got a new system, and we were working all the kinks out of it, and we didn't want to overwhelm the team, so I think we're finally there, and uh, so if you put that back up there, if you don't mind, Jared, um, the first one here we're going to launch here is going to be here in this building on the last Sunday of March, um, that evening at 6 o'clock, so it's open to... Every church, every denomination, there's not going to be preaching or speaking. It's just prayer and worship. And uh, these guys do such a great job. Amen. Don't don't they do a good job? I think they do a good job. I'm proud of that team. Um, And they're going to help lead that. And then after um, this, after March, we're going to be going to venues around Harrison that are neutral, not church affiliated. So most of them will be at the college campuses or uh, Duran Center, or the amphitheater. Uh, we have several places lined up throughout the, uh, the year, every month, the last Sunday of the month. And then we're praying that yeah. as that grows, maybe we can increase that until we become a city of worship and, um, and stop trying to compete with one another. Because uh, I don't think that you're gonna wanna listen to me much when we're in heaven. And I feel that every pastor needs that revelation. <laughs> you guys good? Yeah. One last announcement. I know a lot of you did not get a text for where to go tomorrow for our home groups. Um, we were waiting on some things to send that out, but that will be sent out either today or tomorrow, okay? So you'll get it. Those of you who signed up to receive the text alerts about what address to go to, you will get that text tomorrow or today. I'm not sure exactly when. Um, however, I need you to pay attention. Um, give me my phone. We are tentative on Alan and Alicia's. all right? That depends on how she feels. So if you get a text that says you're going to Alan and Alicia's, or you choose to go to that one because you didn't sign up for the text alerts, um, if we are not having it there, we're gonna have it at uh, Kayla and AJ's house. Yeah, right? Thank you guys so much for that. Um, their address is 4818 Powder Keg. Har- that's a crazy awesome address. Like, that's powerful. I want my, can I, I'm gonna change the name of my road to Powder Keg Road. That's amazing. 4818 Powder Keg in Harrison. Um, that's fairly close here, right? So they've opened their home. If it's not gonna be at Allen and um, whoever's going there will go to that address. If you uh, need that again, I'll be posting it on the um, Facebook page, okay? Is that everything? I don't remember. Um, Okay, so we, uh, ladies, you've endured. I'm surprised uh, the man showed up this morning. You're brave. Uh, We're in Ephesians, and we're going verse by verse. If you're new here and this is your first Sunday, uh, we've been going verse by verse through Ephesians, specifically focusing on the ability to be able to be the people of God for a generation who needs God's people. How we live life determines the ability of God in our outflow. It's not enough to have proper theology. It's enough to have the Word of God incarnate. Does that make sense to you? In other words, that you becoming the thing that you believe is more powerful than the thing that you just generically believe. Jesus took on flesh. He was the word. The word is supposed to be and designed by God to be carried by men. Not an idea, but an embodiment. Are you with me? So Jesus comes and shows us what it means to be a man of God or to be actually a true human. He had to teach us to be the thing that we thought we naturally were because most humanity is demonic. Bitterness, anger, retaliation, lust, judgment, criticism, defilement are all demonic. And it's interesting how the demon wants to be in your flesh. And yet we excuse the incarnate reality of the word from ourselves, yet we will embody the opposite. Because both powers of darkness and light want to fill you. That's the war. It's not about what you believe. It's about who possesses you. Because you were designed by God to be possessed. We are not enough in this reality to bear what we need to bear, which is why Jesus had to come. You with me? I think I said it at a home group the other night. I see so much of this desperate attemptism, if that's a word, of people to find their reality and their identity by telling themselves the thing they wanna believe about themselves, but they don't. I'm enough. No, you're not. And you'll never be. And if you put that tattoo on your body, I'm sorry. You're not enough. If you were enough, you wouldn't need Jesus. He is enough. Go get that I turned into a he. Erase the am. So we're in Ephesians because we're studying Paul's practical reality of how to be a people of God for a generation who needs God's people, okay? So how we live life, and if if you've walked with us this far, you'll see that Paul does a very good job. He even calls himself, by the Spirit, a wise master builder. In other words, how he projected Scripture was intentional. This wasn't just meandering thoughts of a renegade apostle. He built something in the book of Ephesians, a pattern or a framework by which we live our lives. And if we don't live our lives that way, when we get to chapter six and the war actually comes, which circumstantially happens more often than we admit, then we will be unprepared to be what we need to be in that moment. For example, (laughs) binding the devil in spiritual warfare has nothing to do with you screaming and shouting at the devil in prayer. It has to do with how you live your life before you pray. Everybody wants to cast out demons yet still sit at the table with them. It takes a specific authority to be able to do that. The way Jesus lived gave him the power to be able to release that power to us. Okay, so more importantly than just spiritual warfare is the ability to love our wives. If you can't love your wife, then you have no power over anger and hate. So Paul in chapter one, I'm not going to go through all this, but Paul in chapter one establishes God's eternal purpose for man. Chapter two, he goes through in chapter two to three to four, five, all of it seeming to focus so much with snippets of the vertical, but so much fo- focus on the horizontal, how we treat one another. The book of Ephesians is absolutely, completely compacted with the idea that we must interact with each other in the way that God intends. Why? Because that determines whether or not the demons will obey you. Jesus says, if you can't love your brother who you can see through John, how can you love God who you can? not In other words, if you want to love God, you love his people if you can't love his people I doubt whether you love God see we think love is a feeling of a personal affinity that we've had through an experience, no love is a person not a moment and love has to be embodied, personified incarnate are you with me? Okay, this is why we're going through Ephesians, because if our marriages are out of order, don't worry about ministering to everybody else. Figure out your home first. Yeah. If it doesn't touch your family, why does anybody else want it? If your kids don't want your gospel, why should you the world? Yeah. Let me tell a joke. A man was walking through the woods one day when he stumbled across the lamp. In the time-honored tradition, he picked it up and rubbed it. And sure enough, out popped the genie who granted him three wishes. He said, I'd like a million dollars. Poof, it appeared. What's your second wish? Asked the genie. He said, well, I'd like a new Ferrari. And poof, it magically appeared. And he said, your third wish? He said, I would love to be irresistible to women. And poof, he turned into a box of chocolates. There we go. Ooh. We gotta get spiritual real quick because that's that went way that way. My wife told me I should tell that on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Relationships are where God shows you where you need to grow. Marriage is a revealer of hearts. It's easy to be spiritual in front of people that you don't know. But it's hard to love when familiarity starts breeding contempt. However, it's not hard for God. So who has the issue? Yeah. Ephesians 5.25, let's read it. We spent three weeks on the ladies. I feel that if I don't spend at least three weeks on the man, I'm going to get lynched. So we'll go for it. Would it, be, would it make you ladies feel better if I pick on them for four weeks in a row? I figured it would. I figured it would. Husbands, love your Wives. Do you realize that love in its greatest context doesn't have the full weight of capacity until the opposite of what you're trying to do is presented? In other words, until the person's unlovable, you don't have the real opportunity to show love. Jesus says, it's easy for you to love those who love you. Even the heathen can do that. When God says to love one another, it's always in the context of the person being unlovable. I'm not saying women are unlovable. I'm saying that when people in our lives, and man, I'm picking on you now, if, you're, if your lady is hard to love, it's your responsibility to Change. In fact, I would say this, that many times when God wants to get to a man's heart, he does two things. He touches his money and he causes his wife to get irritable <laughs> because that's his opportunity to begin to show the love of God. Men, if you are understanding love correctly, you'll find that the context of it is the exact opposite of what you want your marriage to be and it's up to you to change it. I got one amen. Well, What was a Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her. Do you realize that the context of this verse that that Paul is talking about to the Ephesian church is that Jesus loved a technical prophetic bride who was a whore, she was bitter, she was mean, she had left him and he came to win her heart again. There was nothing desirable in the Jewish people. <laughs> I used to know a Jew that said, when people would say, oh, I just love Jews, and they immediately find out he was a Jew, he'd go, why? We're, we're terrible people. I'm not picking on them, we are all that way. But I'm saying this, is that in the nation of Israel at that time, there was nothing to love. They had turned into a critical, bitter, religious system of broken people whoring after other things. She was not a pure bride. She was full of spots and wrinkles and imperfections. And yet Paul here tells us to love in the context and in the definition of Christ. Not in the context and the definition of someone who's lovable. The Jews knew who they were, how they were, and what they were, and for the fact for Messiah to love them the way he did, (laughs) said everything. It's no different that when Jesus came to you, you were just as unlovable as they were. So the context of loving your wife has nothing to do with how she's acting. In fact... The love that you give your wife when she's acting that way is her gateway to change. And if the love is not present, then the wife is bound. Some of y'all are like, man, if I'd have known this was pick on men day, I'd have stayed home and slept in. Some of you did know and you came anyway. And I'm proud of you. And Jim told me he was gonna miss the next few weeks. (laughs) He was joking, (laughs) but it did make me laugh. He said, call me when you're done with the series. I'll be back. (laughs) Next verse. So they might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Next verse. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. Do you understand that the bride's purity is directly connected to the amount of love she receives? Let's get into it. There's something about the power of love that has its result in purification. Any holiness in your life as a believer came because of the love of Christ over your life. It wasn't because you learned the laws and the rules and the dogma. You learned those things in Sunday school and you still fell into sin. Knowledge did not bring you to Christ. It was the love of God shed abroad in your heart that caused you to cry out, Abba, Father. It's the love of God that has its roots in purity and holiness. The church went through a terrible culture time back in the 80s and 90s in this holiness movement where they were trying to bring about the product of love without the love that was needed to bring forth the product. Holiness, preachers, you gotta be holy. Holiness is impossible without an infatuation of love. Holiness without love is at its best religion. The result of love and loving like Christ is a changed bride. Do you see the symbolism? Are you with me? God will allow the imperfections of the woman to come up in her life to see whether you're going to take the opportunity to love. And while you're looking at her to get her act straight, God's looking at you to see if you are able to love what is unlovely. because that's what he did for you. What we want is both parties to be perfect. Women want men to be perfect before they submit, and men want women to be perfect before they love. It doesn't happen that way. If both parties do their job, both parties will be givers and not takers. See, a woman's ability to walk in purity and holiness is in a direct correlation to the amount of love she's given. Now we're gonna get into the definition of love and ladies, don't get too excited. Love is not foot massages and roses and chocolates. That has something to do with it, but it's not everything. Well, You're a brave man, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) You owe your wife a foot massage now, bro. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We... (laughs) The woman has a responsibility to submit, but the man has a responsibility, a greater responsibility, love, to bring forth the context of submission. Show me a woman who's not submitting. There's only two possibilities, and love is the cure for both. She either doesn't trust or she's in rebellion. And love is the cure for both. Either way, it doesn't change our job. Are you with me so far? Without love, submission is not, it's not, it's not possible. God's love touched us as believers and the first reaction that we had was submission to his salvation, his grace. And as he continues to touch us in love, we submit. And every time God loves us in a deeper way, we find ourselves on our knees in submission. It is the love of God, it's the love of a husband that causes the wife's heart to soften and begin to come underneath things, not because she's less, but because she's protected and she's covered. If you have a relationship where you're constantly waiting for the other person to change and poking at each other's sin, you're not only missing your opportunity to show the love of God, but you've become the, the, the voice of the accuser of the brethren. You literally have the tongue of Satan in your mouth. It goes both ways, but I'm talking to the men today. Turn to John chapter eight. I'm gonna show you a prophetic story. Pay attention when you see things in John. If you're ever studying your Bible, this is just a little tidbit. If you ever see things in John, John calls the miracles and the works of Jesus signs, which means that everything that John writes down has a prophetic implication of what was he was doing on a greater scheme other than just the moment what he was touching was much deeper than just the issue at hand. So when the healings come, you'll see a prophetic connection, not only to the bride, or, but to also to the principle of the body of what Jesus was trying to get as a, as a corporate whole. So, so John chapter eight, we see Jesus' multiple, this is just one of them, but multiple in, in intersections, if you will, with women in the Bible. And each one of them have a theme to them, especially in John's gospel, about a restoration of the woman taking her from what she was into what he knew she could be. Every time you'll see that. John 4, John 8, different places in, the, in, in, in his, his writings, he touches the prophetic nature of his encounters with Eve. You follow me? Okay. I had some, one of you follows me. Okay. All right. So John chapter 8 says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Are we there? Did I tell you what verse? One? One? Verse one, see if you're prophetic, you'd know that. (laughs) I'll give you grace, you can work on it. (laughs) Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Do you know what that was? That was the place in which he met God. That was his place of prayer. He frequented that place often. He came to that place before his night of betrayal where he was gonna win his bride in ultimate reality. So it's interesting that he goes there right before he really redeems Eve on the cross, but he also goes here right before he prophetically runs into her in John chapter eight. See this? So early that morning he came to the temple and he began to teach people, and he sat down with them. So first of all, guys, I wanna show you this from Jesus. Anything Jesus does is is our model. If Jesus had to pray before his encounter with a fallen Eve, then what makes you think you're gonna be able to love your wife without being on your knees? There's only one place to get love, and it's not from affection, it's from God. This young culture, you young ladies, y'all need to understand that love is not a feeling, it is not an emotion, it is a choice. Because after time, that feeling and affection fades, but a deeper love begins to grow, and it's so deep that you can't even talk, you can't even describe it. The kind of love I had for my wife when we were young is, is not the same love I have. It's not, and some people would even call that falling out of love because the emotion isn't there. I don't get butterflies when I see her. But when I see her, there's a deep sense of awe, and respect and wonder. Mostly how she could put up with me for 20 years. And May's our 20th, we're almost there. You don't see very many Gen Xers make it 20 years. Most of them have gotten divorced two or three times. So it's a testimony that we can show young people this is possible. You don't have to have the idea and culture that if it doesn't work out, you get divorced. If it doesn't work out, you change and make it work. Oh, and verse three. So the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they'd set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Keep going. Moses says in the law that we should stone her. What do you say? See, there's a legality to marriage and then there's a grace. And oftentimes you have to let go of what should be in order to grab a hold of what will be. Most of the time when I counsel marriages, it's always on what is and not what could be. People lose their vision for their their spouse. They lose the idea of what God made them to be and they've changed that to what they are. And if you see people only for what they are, you'll never never you'll never be able to love them. God doesn't love you because of how you are now. He loves you because of the idea of who Jesus is in you and what you will become. Jesus is in love with the bride that is going to be. He sees her potential. He sees the gold. He sees the pearl. You've got to develop that eye again for your wife. You have to. See, the scribes and the Pharisees in this story, they represent the religious system of right and wrong. And this woman's reaction and relationship with God came through religion about what was right and what was wrong. And you know what happens? If if you get to the point in your life where You're right and wrong all the time. It's always about right and wrong. You're gonna find that you're more wrong than right. And when that happens to the human psyche, you wanna give up and quit. Because you look at yourself and you're like, I'm not enough, but I'm gonna tattoo it on my arm, hoping it's gonna come true. We gotta be honest with ourselves because what happens to this type of person is that they come to this idea that I'm not gonna ever be good enough, so I'm just gonna quit. And that's what happens in marriages. this is never gonna work, so I'm just gonna quit. Even if we stay married, I'm emotionally unattached because I'm I'm quitting. This woman deserves to be stoned. I mean, that's the mindset. In order to love your your wife, you have to move away from what is wrong and the sin that is present. You have to see the pure garment that is your responsibility to bring to pass. See, men blame their wives for not not being what they want them to be, but they don't understand it's their responsibility to get them there. Your wife will become what you... (laughs) Allow her to be in that sense. And if you don't love her, she's gonna become bitter and angry. Depressed, hurt. But if we love, she'll bloom. I thought I would've got a amen from a woman or two on that one, but... See, becoming love is God's, is God's goal for us. It's not to love our wives, but to become love. It's to become love. So this thing says, what do you say, Jesus? So catch the prophetic symbolism here. His bride, which is represented by this woman, is drugged before his feet. She's completely a whore. She represents the nation of Israel in scripture. And everybody's ready to get rid of her. Catch the moment. You had a moment like this where knowledge of sin and religion and all this stuff brought you to the feet of Jesus, and you were hoping for mercy, knowing you didn't deserve it. And I can see her down on her knees looking up, just be like, oh my gosh, you know, I've heard of this guy. Some say he's the Messiah. If he is, I'm literally caught in my sin, standing before God himself. The one who created me, who measured the sea in the palm of his hands, Yahweh Elohim. I'm feet, I'm inches from his feet. did jesus do this they said testing him they might have something to prove him which to accuse him but jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers though he didn't hear anything <laughs> you know there's an interesting correlation to this story in the old testament the bible says that the ten commandments were written by the finger of god And here you have the finger of God writing in the earth. And I probably think that he started writing out those 10 commandments. And as these men are looking at the original law of God, he says, if you're holy enough, I'll let you judge her. And the only one holy enough looked at her and said, I don't condemn you. He looked at his bride with all of her wrong, all of her sin, all of her shortcomings, all of her, her nakedness and all of her blood and all of her stains and all of her sin. And he said, I don't condemn you. Husbands, when's the last time you had a moment like that with your wife where she comes before you in all of her filth? And all you see is the bride that she's gonna be. See, the particular spirit that was addressing her life, she knew she was wrong and she finally just gave up and quit because she didn't feel like she was worthy of love anymore. The emotional difficulties that men have with their spouses are the direct result of their inability to love like Jesus. See, because in every moment, women do get caught up in these mental, emotional, difficult moments. But in every one of those, there's a moment of show me the coin where the wisdom of God is able to cut through everything and find the core of the issue and begin to show the love of God and disarms all of the things that are going on in the life and the heart opens to the Father. Men, one of your greatest strengths is your logic, but it's also your greatest weakness because logic doesn't show emotion. I don't understand sometimes when my wife wants me to fix something and when she doesn't because I always want to fix it. Women, your your husbands always want to fix your problems. But the reason that they want to fix them is not so that they can not have it to deal with. It's because they do love you. They just don't know how to go about navigating it. And their way of trying to love you is to fix it. Sometimes they don't want it fixed. They just want somebody to walk through it with them. Problem is they never tell us which one. (laughs) we got to figure that out on our own. But the Spirit will tell you. The Holy Spirit will tell you. You'll hear a word in your spirit. You'll hear something in your heart. Something will begin to move. If you're moved by your wife, you're not gonna be moved by the Spirit. So the Bible says in in Ephesians, go back to what, verse 26 maybe, 27. Did you get it up there? Uh, Yeah, 26. Yes. Love your wives the way Christ loved the church so that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Now, let me touch on this just for a second. A lot of people, it's not a bad thing, but it's just dumb. I mean, sorry, that's me. A lot of people think that washing your, your wife with the water of the word is reading scripture over her. That's not that's not what this means. <laughs> and, and 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 when 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 some guy stands up and says, "Why do I wash my wife with the word?" of like, what do you mean by that? Well, I read scripture over her all the time. Good for you. That's not what that verse means. Because what happens is is that some other guy who's not doing that, but he's actually living better than you are toward his wife, feels bad because he's not actually reading scripture over her, but he's being scripture to her. That's not what that word, that word means. Jesus didn't cleanse us by, you know, talking scripture over us. He cleansed us by the love that he showed on the cross that brought forth his life out of his body over the bride. In fact, I would say this. You can't wash your bride unless you're wounded by her. What came out of his side on that cross? Blood and water. That's where Eve was redeemed. And Eve was the one that wounded him. The church. The people. In fact, washing of the water by the word means that you are pierced so deeply by the wound of what's going on that you release life from you into her. And that has a work in her that causes her to stop wounding. Does that make sense? I mean, should you read scripture over what? I mean, yeah, if you want to. That's not a bad thing, but that's not what that verse means. That verse means you love in such a way that your pains of marriage pierce you so deeply that the only thing that comes out of you is life and purity. The same way Jesus washed us is how we're supposed to wash Our bride. You understand that? Another way of washing the bride is restoring her peace. Before Jesus uh, died, he washed his disciples what? Feet. What do the feet represent in Ephesians 6? Peace. So you understand now the connection between Ephesians all the way through in the spiritual warfare. If you're not walking in peace, you have no ability to war with me okay so you see the progression and why we're having to go verse by verse of what paul's trying to say before we get to a point where you actually you see people who live opposite to all this and then they want to go out and do spiritual warfare you're gonna get your rear end handed to you the way a husband washes his wife is he restores peace in the home he brings peace to the chaos, to the emotional chaos. Why? Because women, men, all of us, we need our peace restored, but for men, it's our responsibility to restore peace in the home. The woman builds the house, but the man brings the peace that settles it. He walks in such a way that he's able to take off all the stuff off of her feet that she collects during the day, emotionally and physically and mentally and financially, that he comes in such a way that he removes all of that from her and restores that rest in the home. That's how you wash your your bride. Not by reading Bible verses over her. Does it make sense? The wound of the wife is what brings forth the purity of the wife. Husbands, you can't love purely unless you're wounded by your spouse. Women carry an amazing ability and a tremendous ability to be able to both heal and wound. Men think that it's the woman's job not to wound them. God thinks that the men should be pure enough in their wound, they purify their bride by the wound. See, what comes out of you when you're wounded is what you really are. If your wife starts getting on you and you respond in anger and pride and there ain't nothing pure coming out of you to, pur- to purify her. You ain't washing her with nothing but demonic filth while you're reading scripture over her the next day. That's stupid. That's stupid. See, anybody can speak and read. Not everybody can live what they say they believe. I can teach a heathen to read scriptures over their spouse, and it's not gonna do anything. Love is what causes the transformation of the heart, not knowledge. The Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. In fact, I would even say that if you're not living a Christ life, life over your wife, stop reading scripture over here because you're reading and you're compounding the knowledge of what she's supposed to do without the authority and the ability and the peace to, to bring it to pass. Everybody wants to complain about their old ball and chain. But God gave you that woman to expose your immaturity. It's bad that you can get along with your coworkers better than you can get along with your wife. That says a lot about you, not her. It says a lot about you. It shows where you have not encountered the love of God yourself. Because Jesus took every wound we gave him and he used it to purify ourselves. (laughs) He's like, oh, you hurt me? It'll only benefit you in the long run. Watch what I can do with pain. Watch what I can do with brokenness. Watch how you treat me and how it will constantly and only benefit you. Hmm. Would that kind of husband have your attention, ladies? John eight nine. They heard it and they were convicted by their own conscience and they left one by one beginning at the eldest and to the last and Jesus was left standing alone with the woman. And when Jesus is lifted up himself, he saw that none there but the woman. He said, where are those, where are your accusers? You know what Jesus, the good husband said? He said, I got rid of all those demonic voices that were telling you, you weren't lovable. because that's what a good husband does. He gets rid of all those demonic voices in the head of the spouse, telling her, you're not good enough. And he says, no matter how bad you are, I am, you're always mine and I don't condemn you. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad he did that for me. So glad. See, if your wife irritates you, there's too much of you left. Jesus has no problem loving you. And you think you're better than your wife? You're just as unlovable. But you know what Jesus lost? All of his Adamic humanity. And that's what it takes to be able to love like God. That's why Paul says, I crucify myself every day. Why? Because if I don't crucify myself every day, then the love of God has no ability to be shown in my life. See, what comes out of you when you're wounded is what you are. If your wife does something specific or whatever it might be and you're irritated and you're showing forth anger and pride, guys, That's what you're currently made of. And God has to expose that and get you to see it so that way you can come to him and go, God, I am not the man I need to be. And the only way I'm gonna be the man I wanna be is if I'm around you enough, long enough for you to change me. So I'm asking you for the grace to love my wife because she's your daughter, she's not my wife. And let me tell you something, you treat my daughter wrong, I will kill you. (laughs) Ugh. And we think God thinks any differently? See, she's not your wife. She's the daughter of the Most High God. That should scare you. She's just on loan to you temporarily, mostly to expose us so that we can become like the groom Jesus. The same way the bride is supposed to show the husband what it is to be the bride, the same way, husbands are supposed to show the the wife what Jesus is before he meets her. Yippee! Love silences the voice of accusation. And that what happened here. You want to love your wife. Silence the voice of accusation. Women, how many, how many times do you actually deal with the, with the voice of accusation in your head throughout the week? Wouldn't it be nice if somebody came in with love and just silenced all that, made you feel like, it's gonna be okay. I'm fighting for you so you're not gonna lose. That's what Jesus does. But Unfortunately, the mouth of the accuser finds itself in both parties in a marriage and all they do is sit there and tell each other how each other are wrong, expecting each other to fix themselves and change. How many of you guys ever changed your opinion because you lost an argument? No hands. It's amazing. Every time I ask that, there are no hands. Yet that's the exact motive of operation that we use in our marriage, expecting the other person to change. Being right changes no one. Jesus was right, and him being right didn't change us. It was his love that changed us. In fact, it was his love shown to us when we were wrong that changed us. Does this make sense? Young ladies, pay attention if you're not married. He says, I don't accuse you either. I don't condemn you either. Go to Mark 10 real quick. Verse 33. That word condemn is the same word used here. Jesus is speaking. He says, behold, we're going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered unto the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn me to death and they will deliver me to the Gentiles. The same word used in the Greek, condemn, condemn. He says, I don't condemn you, but you're gonna condemn me. But I'm willing to go for you even if you're not willing to go for me. That's love. Love in its greatest context is being married to somebody is absolutely freaking difficult. But you're willing to be broken and wounded for them because of the love you have for them. Jesus was saying to this woman prophetically, I will take your condemnation. Instead of using it against you, I will use your failures to benefit you in your life. See, love creates an atmosphere where the mind can be renewed. We talk about mind renewal all the time, need to renew our mind, but you understand that love creates the atmosphere for the mind to be able to be renewed. Love brings peace to the mental anguish. Love brings a a realm of rest so the mind can take a breath and begin to learn to think differently. So if our our, our wives are all crazy in their heads, we need to create an atmosphere of love so that the mind can be renewed so that she can think differently because women, their strength and their weakness are the same and just like men, they see better than we do. But because they see better than we do, they're all worried about what they see. And they get into fear. And then they get into presumption and assumption. And then they toy around the what ifs and how could and should have would have's and well, you know, what might be. And, and then pretty soon they're 50 miles down the road that they should have never taken one step on. And then it turns to accusation because of the fear. And they project on their men their insecurity. Even if he's not looking at a woman, they think he is. Because of the fear. And the inability to hold the thoughts of the emotions. So men have to create the environment of love so that the mind can rest. When you're in the presence of Jesus, is your mind spazzed out? <laughs> you're in more peace than you've ever been in, that, in, in any moment you've ever had. There's, a, there's an element where man can bring the love of God into a situation, so much so that it completes a rest in the, in the environment and everybody's able to just, oh, that feels better. See, men are made to be warriors. They just fight the wrong thing. You think your job is to fight other alpha males. No, that's not your job. Your job is to fight so that your wife can have an atmosphere of rest around her. You want? You understand? See, love, the Bible says in First Peter 4, 8, above all things, have fervent love among yourselves because love will cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that what just happened in John 8? That Jesus, the love of God, covered a multitude of sins. Legally, this woman should have been sent to hell. But God restores her to her original place. the context of love is going to be the context of sin when god requires you to love your wife the most is going to be the moment when your flesh doesn't want to do it the most it's going to be the moment where she's the hardest to love each marriage is different but every every marriage has that one moment where the woman does that one specific thing and the guy just turns inside like just <laughs> And most people respond in the accusation in the mouth of the devil. When in reality, what you're supposed to do in that moment is realize that the war is on because something is attacking your wife and that's why she's acting that way and she's not the problem. What's affecting her is. And what you need to fight is not her, but the thing that's oppressing her peace. God covered the iniquity in spite of the iniquity because of who he is. It is who God is that caused him to be able to love. It wasn't the environment. There was nothing lovely about this woman. I promise you, men, if this would have been your wife, there would have been nothing in her you would have wanted. In John 8, used up, has been, reject, defiled individual. Not your first pick. And Jesus says, I want her. I'm going to try to hurry. Okay. Real quick. Leviticus 8, verse 14 through 17. It says... And he brought a bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the bull for the sin offering, and they killed it. And Moses took the blood and put it on the horns of the altar, round about with his finger, and purified the altar, and poured the blood at the bottom of the basin of the altar, sanctified it to make reconciliation upon the altar. And he took all the fat that was on the inwards, and the call above the liver, and the two kidneys and their fat, and he burned it on the altar. But the bull, his hide, and his flesh... And the dung were burned outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Like, what does that have to do with anything we're talking about? This sin offering was for the purification of the body of the church. You with me? Jesus was the sin offering for the church. The skin and the hide was always taken outside the camp and burned because that was the covering. In Genesis, the first covering that happened was God covering Adam and Eve. You you follow what I'm saying? So they were wrong, God was right, they screwed up, but even in their screw up, God said, I'm gonna cover it. I will cover it with a sacrifice. It was a prophetic reality of what God was going to do in the end. I will cover your nakedness, your shame, and your sin through sacrifice. And here, God sets a prophetic order of the priesthood of Aaron to say that when you come to this prophetic sacrifice, you make sure you take the covering, the sin, outside the camp, because that's where the sin had to go, outside the camp, the covering, right? Hebrews 11, or 13, 11 through 13. For the body of the two beasts, whose blood which were brought to the sanctuary behind the priest were, were, were bore outside the camp. Verse 12, Jesus also, that he might sanctify his bride or his people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. As the husband, he was saying prophetically, I am going to cover my bride with my sacrifice. Even if it puts me outside. Of where I should be. Even if it puts me in a place. In a position. That I don't deserve to be. Did the king of all glory deserve to be outside of his own city? He was, he was crucified outside of Jerusalem. It's called the city of peace. He was, pre, he was Melchizedek. He was the pre-incarnate Christ. The king of righteousness. The king of peace. It was his city. Yet he got kicked out of it. So that he could cover our sin. So much so that the husband, even if it's his own house and he shouldn't be treated a certain way, it shouldn't matter how he's being treated. His only thought should be, how can I cover my bride? That's a good point. The woman with the issue of blood, Luke 8. I'm not gonna read it, you know the story. She had no right. She had no right, according to Jewish law, to touch that man. None. None. According to Jewish law, she should have stayed as far away from him as possible. But there's something about the heart of Jesus that when you reach out and touch him, he don't care how dirty, filthy, nasty, unclean you are. He believes his love and his garment has the ability to cover her. What did she reach for? His covering. Men, what your wives are reaching for is your covering. Because it brings healing. You catch the parallel. Her defilement brought forth her healing. When you see things that are wrong in your wife, as a man of God, you should look and go, This thing that's so wrong in her will work to her benefit through me touching it. Jesus didn't agree with his bride. But it didn't stop him from loving her. Love in its truest form is shown, not when it's easy, not when it's without flaw. But love thrives in darkness, shines in disappointment, overcomes in difficulties. It looks for opportunity to show mercy and grace. <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing. The reason we respond out any other way is because we're selfish. We want what we want, and she's not giving it to us. We often don't give God what he wants, and he still gives to us. Can I read just briefly the story of the crucifixion? This is Jesus, the groom the husband going through all of this for a woman who was not worth it. Not in our mind but in his she was so worth it. Pilate saw that he couldn't prevail against the crowd and chaos was being made so he took water and washed his hands of the multitude saying I'm innocent of this man's blood. You see to it. Jesus, Pilate here in the legal sense, put the blood of Jesus, the husband, on the wife, the Jewish nation. After this moment, it was the bride that crucified the husband. She made his life difficult. She hurt him. She betrayed him. But he used her difficulty, her wound, and her betrayal to save her. He took the evil that was in her and used it to purify her. He took the, the horrible thing and made it into something that saved her. He took her actions against him and used them to make her holy. some serious power. So he released Barabbas and had Jesus scourged and delivered him to be crucified. And every beating that he took was from the bride. It was from the hand of the church. And you never heard him say anything bad about her. He was placed in the position of the original Adam naked exposed by the sin of somebody else and he was covered in blood that she drew from his body to atone for her sin. Men, do you realize the power you have to transform evil into something that saves entire generations? That you have the ability to take a wound so deep and turn it for the good of somebody who used it against you. That's the power that you have. And they put a crown of thorns on him upon his head A reed in his hand bowed his knee to him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. All these are prophetic acts of the church against God. And after they mocked him and took the robe off of him and put his own raiment back on him, they led him away to be crucified. See, it's a mockery of God to say that you love him and live in another way. It's you taking the image of God that's supposed to bear his holiness and his righteousness and making a mockery of it in front of people. Saying you're a believer yet living in unbelief. Men, sadly, many women treat their husbands like this. They mock his authority, they make jokes about his weakness, they smite him on the head, they pull his hair out, which is his strength. only submitting when they're in control, only bowing the knee when they have him where they want him to be, striking his authority with knowledge. And Jesus never held it against her one time. Because just as sadly, many men miss the opportunity to be just like Jesus when they're treated the same way. as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled him to bear his cross and they came to a place called Golgotha to say the place of the skull. It's interesting that Jesus dies in the posture and the position geographically where the women has the most difficulty and hardship in their minds. Because he was going to take the death of the mind of the church, of the bride, and turn it into a symbol of life. Nobody thinks of Golgotha as a place of horror. They see it as a place of redemption because he took the icon of evil and turned it into an icon of glory. So much so that we wear crosses as jewelry when it was only a thing to be feared in the original day. That's the power of a husband, to take... Something so horrific and transform it into something that brings forth life. And they crucified him and took his garments, casting lots, stripped him of his authority and fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That they parted my garments among them and my vesture they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and over his head was the accusation, this is the king of the Jews. And there were two thieves crucified, one on the right and the left. And they passed by and reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, "You destroyed the temple; you build it in three days. Save yourself." This is the icon of like this this nagging wife. You know, you call yourself a Christian, but you do this and you do that. And if you were really a man of God, you'd do this for me, and you'd do that for me, and you'd do this, and you'd actually read your Bible, and you. This is this voice of accusation. And Jesus only had a heart of redemption for her because the moment, the moment one of them stopped accusing and said, I'm sorry, he said, you're gonna be with me forever. I forgot everything you just said and I made a really nice home for you and I want you to be in it. You know what most of us men would be? We'd be all upset and mad, and angry about what she said and how she doesn't deserve it and I'm not gonna put that out for her because she treats me like garbage and I'm not gonna do this for her anymore because congratulations, you're a son of the devil. Because that's the voice of the enemy. It's not the voice of the father. At the very least, you're split the Bible says if any man's double-minded, he will get nothing from God. I'll touch on it maybe in the future, but God says that if you don't treat your wife right, God will not hear your prayer. Do you know why God heard the prayer at the intercession of Jesus? Because he treated his wife right. You and me. Treating the wife right has everything to do with the wife actually being wrong. But you don't bring that up because you don't care whether she's wrong. You care that you're just in love with her. Now, the sixth hour was happy and all the land was filled with darkness. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's another sermon. But when you're in this place, guys, it's a lonely place. And you'll feel like you're by yourself. And you'll feel like you're trying to pull this burden on your own. But you're not. Read the end of the psalm and you'll see how it ends up. Someone that stood there said this, this, this man's calling for Elijah and one of them ran and filled a sponge, and took it with vinegar, put it on a reed, and gave him to him a drink and said, let's see whether he will come to save him or not. And Jesus cried again and gave up his life for his wife so that she could find hers. It was an interesting study that was done. They interviewed a bunch of women on the street and they said, if the angel of death comes and has a choice, and you get to choose which one it takes you or your husband, which one. And overwhelmingly, over and over and over again, the women said, My husband, my husband, take him. Why should I die? I know most of you wouldn't say that, but culture. But then they started interviewing heathen men, asked them the same question. They said, Me, take me. Take me. Let her live. Why did they say that? Why did heathens say that? Because that is from the Father. Even heathens have something inside of them that say, I will sacrifice myself for my wife. Men, why have you lost that? Like, oh, I'll give my physical life up for my wife. That's easy. For men, that's easy. Giving up your practical life it's much harder. And because, behold, the veil of the temple was rent into top to bottom, the earth quaked, rocks rent, graves were opened. Many of the bodies of the saints slept in rows, came out of the graves after his resurrection, went to the city and appeared to many. Do you understand that his death brought life back to the church? The saints came back to life. <laughs> saints came back to life. He brought dead people alive. If you think your wife is dead and without hope, Why don't you try dying for her and bring back life into where she's dead? Why don't you start fighting for the person you said I do to and made a covenant before God and man? Instead of fighting with her, fight for her. When our lives are spilled for our wives, we will in time see the resurrection of God in them and who he made them to be. Not what they currently are. Love has the ability to see what is possible, not what is. When the centurion that were with him saw this, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying this was the son of God. Verse 55 in Matthew 27, and many women were there beholding afar off. So cool it puts that in there. Many women. This is the picture of the husband. And she's watching, she's watching her husband be crucified for her. What happened to these same women? If you read the story, they were the first ones to come and minister to him. And they didn't have to be told to do it. Man, if you lay down your life for your wife, she will be the first one to come and minister to you and you won't have to ask her. The bride ministers to her husband well when she sees the greatness of his sacrifice for her. The blood and water flowed from that side and created Eve, the new Eve, redeeming the earth. And it was by the wounds she gave him that he brought her to life. So guys, anytime there's a difficulty in your marriage, it is the wounds that she is giving you that is the opportunity for her healing. if you're selfless enough to be a sacrifice for her. What comes out of you when you're crucified has the power to redeem or condemn. The choice is yours. I just want to Everybody, if you could just stand with me just for a second. I know this is about husbands and I don't want to take away from that, but I also feel like if there's anybody in this room that is that rebellious bride in their Christian life, and Jesus' sacrifice doesn't mean anything to you other than just church theology. That it was your wounds that killed him. It was your sin that caused him to give up his life. And I just want to take a minute. And if that's you, I, I just want you to pray this prayer with me Jesus, I'm sorry for treating you wrong with my sin and I ask you to forgive me and I ask that you would use your blood and your life to make me new and by the wounds that I put upon you may I have your healing and I ask you to forgive me and redeem me and make me your bride again In Jesus' name, amen. I love each and every one of you and I want you to know your value. And I hope if you're visiting here, you get to come back and see us because you're important. And we invite you to be a part of what we're doing. Tonight, we don't have anything, but normally we have things on Sunday nights and Mondays. If you're interested in anything we're doing here to help you in your life with God, please get with one of us. Please get with one of us. We, we wanna be a part of your life. All right, thank you so much. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.